When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's the Last Stand Podcast. And here's your host, Brian Custer. That's right. It is the last stand. I'm Brian Custer. And our guest today comes from the sport of boxing. And when you talk about female boxers, this woman is the most successful woman to ever lace up a pair of gloves, trailblazer, Hall of Famer, and now a successful promoter. She is none other than Christy Martin when she fought the coal miner's daughter. Christy, welcome to The Last Stand. How you doing? I'm well, I'm well. Thanks for having me. I certainly appreciate uh, being on with you and uh, looking forward to having a lot of fun. Absolutely. So uh, my first question to you is, now you're a big-time promoter. How (laughs) has life been as a promoter for you? Well, I'm not so sure that I can get big time in there yet, but that's where we're headed. You know, uh, it's way, way more difficult being the promoter than being the fighter. I mean, it's, it's it, oh my goodness, so many headaches, so many I's that have to be dotted, T's that have to be crossed, lots of moving parts to keep together and a lot of attitudes just with the fighters. And, and usually it's not even the fighters with the attitude, it's their corner, it's their coaches and, and managers and oh, a lot, lot of personalities to deal with as well. How is it promoting um, during a pandemic? Well, it's been uh, whew, it's been tough. You know, we we uh, I at, at my level, I, I live on ticket sales, and when you can't sell those tickets, it's it's really hard. Uh, it's harder to get sponsors. It's harder, you know, for the whole even to get fighters because they the gyms are closed. They haven't been in the gym training, and um, even up until the time they get on the plane, you you're hoping that no one tests positive for COVID at any case, but especially those fighters uh, that you're counting on to, to put on a great show for the fans. What is your goal when it comes to promoting? Are you uh, looking to be one of the huge promoters in the sport, mid-level promoter? What's the goal? You know, it's like everything that I've ever done. I want to be the best. And uh, so I have a long way to go, a lot of growing to do, but I, I feel like I learned from from the best on King and I got to to display my personal skills on Showtime. So that's given me a little edge, you know, like, okay, now I've been there as a fighter. I want to be back to Showtime as a promoter. And, and I think I actually have two kids now that are ready for show, uh, uh, show box, you know, young and upcoming guys, Johnny Langston, a uh, cruiserweight that just won on Don King's show last month. And uh, then we have a couple 147 pounders and younger guys that, that are ready to make that next step. And, and talk to me about your next event. When will you be putting on another show? 
We just we just finished in Orlando um, Saturday, Friday night, and it was a great show. Sold out. Um, I think we had twelve fights. Everybody was you you know very competitive, very hyped to be there. Uh, of course, some fights were better than others, as in any show. But the next one coming is very special. Uh, it's going to be in Vero Beach, Florida, April 10th. And I have uh, married my two, uh, my, my passion and my heart, you know, boxing. I want to do, do great things. But the reason that I feel like I'm still here is domestic violence awareness. And that's what I have to do is to really keep uh, the domestic violence awareness to everyone that I can talk to, everyone I can touch. I want to spread the word, you know, be more uh, uh, um, aware of what's going on around you, whether it be your mother, your sister, uh, your, your coworkers, whomever. Uh, domestic violence is such as all. It's fantastic. I, I love so it. So what I we're doing, we're, we're actually, it's a black tie event in Vero Beach, and we're going to have five very good fights. Um, and then we're going to have, between the fights, we'll have a couple speakers that are going to maybe three to five minutes. And it's, it's going to be about raising money for domestic violence in the local shelter there in Vero Beach. Oh, that's great. That's hot. I appreciate it. That is great. Uh, we'll make sure and promote that as well. Um, so let, let's go back to the beginning. How does a young lady uh, from Mullins, West Virginia, get into boxing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Other than um, it was a little crazy, right? Because uh, at that time, I had never seen a female boxer. I, I'd never seen a professional female fighter. I didn't even know there was a such thing. But I kept wanting to enter into this tough man contest. So of course, I want to fight the women. So I kept on the promoter like, come on, when are you going to have women? When are you going to have women's division? So finally, one year, uh, he decides to add the women's division. And, and I was like the first one to sign up for it. Just hooked on the sport. I mean, I think it's, um, of course, at the beginning, I had no idea how serious it was and how really um, I took chances that I would have never, never taken had I known how serious I could have gotten hurt. Um, but Hey, I, I love it. I fell in love with those sport. The, the fans were crazy and I knocked a couple girls out and, and it just, the hook just kept getting in a little deeper and a little deeper. Uh, how old were you at the time? And what was your parents' response? Yeah, I was like, I was 18, a freshman in college. And my, my parents didn't like the idea. My, my mom, you know, cried. She wouldn't come to watch. And then my dad, he came, but he was just, my dad is like real serious. You know, if you're going to do this, get in shape and, and, and learn how to really fight if you're going to continue to do this. Wow. All right. So you're doing these tough man contests. How does that then parlay into professional prize fighting? Well, so I, I'm thinking I, I get a call from a promoter down in Bristol, Tennessee. Would I come to fight his girl? Of course, I, I don't understand the, the uh, business of boxing. So when a promoter calls you to come fight his girl, Pretty much all the cards are stacked against you. Um, but I thought, well, why not do it one time to, so I could tell, you know, everybody, all my friends that I, look, what, what I did once was a professional fight. And, I, you know, I thought it would be a great story. So I, I went down to Bristol, Tennessee. I had the fight, beat the shit out of this girl, Angela Buchanan. I mean, knocked her down, beat the crap out of her for four rounds, and they called it a draw. I'm like, how could it be a draw? I, I mean, I beat her up and knocked her down. But there you go. I learned that was my first lesson of uh, professional boxing. Um, so anyway, I asked for a rematch and I was like, you know what? It wasn't really a good story. I didn't win. I didn't lose. 
so let me go try one more time. And, and um, again, I just kept getting more hooked and more hooked with boxing. And, and then how did you get a trainer? How did all of that come about? How did the, how did the ball get rolling for Christy yeah. Martin? So I had my first seven professional fights and never been in a boxing gym. Wow. I just, I was playing basketball at Concord College, but this is what I'm saying. Like, I didn't really realize how serious boxing is uh, at that time. Uh, so I have my first seven fights. I'm still in college. I graduate, I'm about to graduate. And the promoter from Bristol, Tennessee says, look, I have somebody that, that wants to train you. Um, so that it was all about timing. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go down there to Bristol for maybe six months or something, kind of live it up, have fun do a little bit of this boxing and, and then I'll come back, get a job, my degrees in education, and I'll just be teaching school in Southern West Virginia for the rest of my life. Um, but it was different than that. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't exactly happen like that. So I did go to Bristol and I met, um, I met the trainer that he was talking about, which was Jim Martin. And um, it was clear that Jim didn't want to train me, but the man that was paying him wanted him to train me. So he didn't have a, he didn't have a real choice. He had to train me. Hmm. And, and so he had to train you. How then did the relationship uh, develop from boxer trainer to uh, eventually spouse? Yeah. Sometimes I, I wonder that myself, how did I let that happen? Um, but it was just, we were both new to the city of Bristol and um, just started spending time together um, you know, I, I don't know what happened is I just, I made a mistake. I made a huge mistake, um, uh, judging him personally. Um, but I, I think it was his timing, you know, it was, we were both kind of lonely and, um, or at least I was, I, I was, and, um, just kind of reaching out for somebody to, to be there. Yeah. Did you, did, and maybe this is a hard question, but did you know at the time you were a lesbian? Oh yeah. I mean, I had already had girlfriends uh, from high school and college and, and Jim knew that too. I mean, Jim okay. knew. He yeah, knew yeah. going he knew into it. Because we were really uh, friends at first. I, I, uh, I don't know if we were really friends, but I was opened up to him like a coach, you know, like a, a um, an athlete will talk to the coach. And I, so I told him, everything he knew everything he knew all the truth um so yeah it wasn't there was no surprise to him at the end mm. and, and 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 do you think it was because even though we, you know we're talking about the 90s that it, it would be looked down upon if people knew that christy martin was a lesbian at that time um you know i think i wouldn't have been given the opportunities that i was given Mm. had you know had christy martin been with a woman and and tried to get those opportunities with don king and showtime even um i'm not sure those same same opportunities would have materialized for me yeah so so talk to me then how did uh as you as jim is training you how does how do you meet don king and then all of a sudden the rise of christy martin how does all that come about yeah so it was in everything in life, I guess is timing. Um, I was in a gym in Daytona Beach. Jesse Robinson, who was training fighters for Don King at the time, uh, came in, watched me train, and just like started watching me a little bit from the other side of the gym. And then as time went on, he got closer and closer, and ended up being in in my team or on my team. Um, he took me to Don King. He was like, "I'm going to take you to King." 
And, and of course, you know, I'm from a small town in Southern West Virginia. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, of course. And just kept doing my thing. Um, I had gone up to fight in the palace in, in Detroit. Jackie Callan brought me up there for a fight right before I signed with Don King. And, and I thought, wow, you know, that was pretty amazing to me. But then to be sitting across the table and just a few weeks later, be sitting across the table from Don King was, I don't even know what words to use for that. Because again, I'm from a town of 500 people. Here I am with Don King. And Julio Cesar Chavez was in the, uh, in the in the office that day. And like all these fighters are running in and out, coming in and out. So it was, it was pretty overwhelming. And I think people have to understand at that time, you know, Don King was the Al Heyman oh. of today. Uh, back then, he was the guy. Why do you think then Don King said, and, and, and at this time, we really weren't seeing female fighters on main events and, and those kind of large platforms. What do you think he saw uh, in you that said, you're going to be the one? I have no idea. I have no idea why he he gave me the opportunity that he gave me. But I am obviously grateful that he did. But I also think that, you know, he pretty much treated me like a fighter. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't like uh, make it easy for me because you're a female fighter. He just put me out there to fight. And as long as I kept winning and kept, uh, kept the fans talking a little bit, uh, I, he kept putting me out there. And, and so it was Don King who puts you on a pay-per-view fight, if I'm not mistaken. You're the first female, correct? Uh, to ever have that time. Did you realize at the time the impact you were making? I had no idea. Um, uh, the funny story about that fight, it was Tyson Bruno was the, the main event. I fought Deirdre Gogarty. And um, after the fight, I went up to my room and my voicemail at my hotel was full. And it was full from people like Jay Leno's show, uh, Good Morning America, all this. I mean, you name it, they were on that voicemail. And um, I remember calling my, the media guy from Showtime and say, you know, why would people play this kind of joke on me? Like I was hurt that somebody would joke me like this. And he says, you don't get it. You're not down here. Like everybody's talking about your fight. They're not talking about Tyson. They're talking about your fight down here in the, in the casino. And I was like, wow, you know, he's this, it's all, it's all legitimate, Christy. So of course he came up and started taking down names and numbers. And, and I went on a little media tour for a week or so after the fight. Um, it was, it was pretty cool. And if I'm not, if my memory serves me correct, I, I remember as a youngster watching this and it was that the fight where you, I think your face was all bloody and nose was all bloody. And it was like, yo, this woman is still throwing and killing this woman and look at her face, her nose and everything. <laughs> Absolutely. That was the most profitable bloody nose in boxing history because <laughs> I mean, it got me out there. It got everybody's attention. Had I just, um, had it just been a fight, Gorgody, we were doing it. We were having a pretty good little war, but the blood just added to it that people started to think, Oh, I would quit or wow. Like Gorgody must be busting my butt because I'm all bloody and, and look beat up, but you know, I'm the one giving it to her. So yeah, people were telling me that the guys were in the green room that at, at, I'm Jim Grand and like they all walked to the back and then by the by like the third round they were like pushing the women out of the way trying to get back to the TV screen so and, and as you are because you were really popular let's 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 be honest about that I mean you were popular as popular as any fighter male female at the time how was that handling that and then I would assume your home life was the total opposite 
my home life sucked. I mean, it was like, it was a living hill. And, and that's what, you know, in front of the cameras, I was always smiling and happy. And, and, and the things I was doing was, it was unbelievable that I'm getting this, this attention and, and this opportunities. Uh, but when the lights went off, you know, it was just Jim and me and um, it was a living hill. I lived in a, I, I say that, I, you know, I lived in a box and I, I sometimes would bump against the walls and try to get out of the box, but after a while, it wasn't worth it. The fights were just, just too much. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fight with him anymore. So mm. I just, I, I, I gave in. Um, in 1996, Christy, you were the first female boxer to appear on Sports Illustrated and I, uh, the title boxing's new sensation. What was that like? And at that point, did the gravity hit you like, wow, uh, I've arrived? You know, I don't even know that it, it, it ever hit me. I don't even know that I, today I even really get it. Um, but to go to buy that Sports Illustrated, of course, Sports Illustrated sent me a, a, you know, a box, but I wanted to go buy it off the newsstand. So when I put it down the, the uh, counter, the guy would be like, oh, wow, that's you. So I did that. I went up like a half mile from my house and um, put the magazine on the counter. The guy, this is like some young kid. He doesn't even look up to see who I am or who's buying the magazine. And so I'm like, dude, that's me on the cover. You know, I, I needed a reaction. Um, but yeah, that that's overwhelming too. You know, people ask me, do you get tired of seeing this? I'm like, are you kidding me? How could anybody get tired of seeing themselves on the cover of Sports Illustrated? And what does it feel like considering, I mean, you're the first, and you're still the only that's ever had that opportunity. And you look at, there've been some great fi female fighters, but you're still the first and the only, what does that mean to you? One thing about it, you know, you, no one can ever take away the first. So um, that all will always have that I was be the first. Uh, I, I think it's a great statement. I think it's a great statement for the time. I mean, and it, it really showed uh, the progression of, of female athletes, I think. And then that was just the start for female boxing. Okay, so uh, we, we go to uh, November of 2010, uh, obviously a really, really tragic day uh, in your life. Tell, tell us what happens. So um, yeah, November, November um, of 2010, November 23rd, 2010, um, I, I went to my house and uh, after being away for a couple of days and I knew that I was going into a bad situation. I, I knew that this was the day that Jim was gonna kill me. Um, Cause you were telling him the, the, the marriage was over, correct? Oh, I had already told him, I'm like, look, I'm out, done. done. Uh, and, and he knew this, but um, we didn't actually argue that day. I, I went in, uh, asked why he wasn't at the gym and, and I had a terrible headache. So I went to lay down. Uh, the entire time I was laying down, he was, he was like sharpening a knife, sharpening a knife on the phone, yelling and, and um, so finally, you know, I decided my head's still hurting. I'm going to just get up and go for a run because I, I, I just, I guess I couldn't relax. So I thought I'll go for a run and I put one shoe on, he walks in and um, he said he had something to show me. So I'm thinking me being crazy. I, I'm thinking that he has a boxing contract and that, wow, you know, I'm going to get back in the gym. I'm going to, I'm going to get back to boxing. Um, but no, he had a, a knife. And so he stabbed me um like three times on the side of on my side uh puncturing my lung and then he stabbed me one through the breast um 
with that one, blood went everywhere. So I, I tried to kick him away from me. He, he um, cut my leg, cut my calf muscle almost completely from my leg. And then, um, we, you know, we fought, we struggled. I tried to get away. He left me laying on the floor for a long time and, and he would walk in and out. I mean, this is a son of a bitch that he was. He walked in with a, a telephone cord, you know, like actual telephone, you know, that we don't even have anymore, but like right. we have on the wall or something, right? right? Okay, so the cord's hanging down of course not attached to anything and he's like oh i can't get this phone to work i can't get this phone to work and this is why i'm laying on the ground bleeding oh my god and, bleeding and, and, and asking him you know my i can hear my lung gurgling so i know that that i'm bleeding you know things aren't gonna be good here and um he, he just he was an ass and then then um he came in finally uh stood at my feet pointed a gun at me my own pink nine millimeter pointed a gun at me and um I told him, you don't have the balls to shoot me. And he shot me. Mm. So I was like, wow, I guess I was wrong there. But mm. um, with that, he, you know, I, I, I remember looking up and it's funny because I was looking through a vent in, in, in my ceiling and I right to God's eyes, I feel like. And I, I said, please, God, um, let me get out of here. Because I, I realized at some point during all this, um, he can't let me live. You know, I mean, he can't let me live. He's got to kill me. Right. So, um, by the grace of God, I heard the shower water turn on and, um, that was like my key to get out my cue, you know, go Christy, go. And I did I picked up my car keys. I was going to drive myself to the hospital, but, um, I had the wrong keys. So I'm like, Oh shit, man. So I went to the middle of the road and, and basically carjacked somebody and Rick Cole, who is my angel, picked me up, took me to the hospital. They got me, they got me stable and life flighted me to the trauma hospital and the rest is history. You know, God left me here for a reason. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do my very best to, to keep the word out there for about domestic violence. Let me tell you something. You want to talk about uh, the strength of the human spirit for a person to be stabbed four times and shot that yet you still had enough strength to get up and get out of there and that you're alive today to tell that story. Have you even come to grips on, you know, like you said, how God said it is your plan to stay here, be on this planet and use this then as your platform? I, I think I have, um, you know, as soon as I came to in the hospital, that was the first thing I, I told everybody, I want to go back to the gym. I'm going back to the ring. I'm going to fight again. But I have to, God left me here for a reason. And I have to make sure that I do good. I do good on that reason. You know, I, so that's what I do. I, I go out, I, I speak at jails and, and uh, of course, domestic violence shelters, any place, anytime, boxing gyms, wherever, any, any opportunity I get to, to share my story and just to bring the awareness to domestic violence. I do it. Um, and the main thing is for people to understand that you cannot wait because you don't know what day that's going to be that that abuser is going to my, my, my situation with Jim wasn't really physical until it was. Mm. And then, you know, you don't know what day that's going to be. Wow, um, man, that's something to me. I, I, I'm even more impressed that it was basically six months later. I think it was in June of the next year where you had another fight. I'm like, how does this woman survive that in six months later in the ring fighting? I was supposed to, I was actually scheduled by top rank to fight in March. And Miguel oh. Diaz was my trainer. Miguel Diaz was training me. So I'm in Vegas. 
And uh, he puts me in with this young young guy sparring, and he told he told the kid he's like, look, go at her, full blast, because I need to see I need to see her bleed. And he was afraid that I was going to get a little bit panicked when I saw blood. Uh, but instead, the kid hit me with a good body shot. And when he hit me with that body shot, it broke my rib. But it's the same rib that the shot, the gunshot went through. So I'm mm. thinking the rib was probably a little bit, uh, you know, damaged already. And the kid hit me with the, the hook and it broke the rib. Uh, so I didn't get to fight until June. But how crazy is this? I fought it on the undercard of Chavez Jr., Right after fighting all those shows with with Julio and watching uh, Buffalo carry Junior in on his shoulders, and now here I am fighting on the undercard. So it was like maybe I stayed around too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think if I'm not mistaken, that was you had 49 wins. You were going for your 50th win, correct? At that time. Yeah, I really I was you know wanted so badly to get that 50th win, but uh, you know I kind of come to the conclusion that I got my 50th win. November 23rd, 2010, when I got up off the floor and I got out, uh, you know, that was that was getting my 50th win. Absolutely. You're right about that. So um, in 2016, you were the first female boxer inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Um, again, you're the first. What did, yeah. that, what did that mean to you then? What does it mean to you now? Yeah, it's a very exciting um uh, you know, it, it's great, a great honor. Um, I, I just wish we could have the ceremony, you know, yeah. we've been, we've been um, delayed, of course, uh, 2020, then 2021. And now it'll be three years uh, altogether uh, in 2022, hopefully. But yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting, but it's, it, it hurt me more when it was canceled. Like I was, I was, wow, like, I can't believe that all this time, you know, we tried to be part of the Boxing Hall of Fame and then to get that call to, that I was going to be inducted and then to have the uh, the ceremony postponed and postponed again is, yeah. is hurtful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 can, I can imagine. Um, I, I, here's one thing I'm always curious, because you've always talked glowingly about Don King. You hear other guys, whether it be Mike Tyson and other ones like, hey, this guy took so much money from me. How come Christy Martin never had any stories like that? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think because I, first of all, I got every dime I was supposed to get. I mean, so how can I really say anything? I got I got bonuses sometimes. I got, um, you know, I, I fought the number of times I was supposed to fight. I got paid when I was supposed to get paid. Uh, I really can't say anything. I, I, I can't say anything bad. And I yeah. do think he's the greatest promoter of, of our time. Um, you know, social media has changed promotions a lot. Uh, but but DK is one of those guys that he needed to do it like old school. You know, he needed to be out with the people. They He needed them to be able to touch him and they, you know, vice versa. So, um, yeah, I don't think he hasn't been able to adjust to the social media maybe as much as, as um, like top rank. Do, Christy, do you think the state of women's boxing, was it better when you were in your prime because it was you and Layla Ali and you had so many big people or what about now? Which one's better? Um, wow. That's kind of like one of those. Uh, I, I think it was better during my time. I mean, it was it, the, the, there were maybe less fighters, but like if I felt like we were very competitive. I mean, there may have been fewer, but yet everybody 
that was talked about, you know, it was all competitive, uh, good matches. Of course, women being able to do be in the Olympics has to help. I, I at least I thought it would help. Um, you know, again, until we have a major promoter that puts a female fighter on where many eyes are going to see the fights and it has to be a good matchup. You know, we have a lot of mismatches in, in boxing period, but in female boxing specifically. Um, and we need that personality that, I mean, I felt like my success part of it was just, I, I was the, I was your next door neighbor. You know, you could go knock on your door and, and it could be me. You know, it wasn't like, um, I'm, I, I was a little arrogant, a little cocky, but at least, but with the fans, I was good. Like I was always wanted to take pictures and sign autographs and whatever the fans wanted. I was, I, I understood that's who put me where I was. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, obviously Clarissa Shields now one of the top fighters. Um, she says networks have made all kinds of excuses not to put female fighters on in main type of events, pay-per-view type of events. Uh, she said that's one of the reasons why she's dipping her foot into MMA, uh, because she believes that uh, MMA does a better job promoting their female fighters. What do you think? Well, I think she's probably right. And it's funny because back in my time in the 90s, Dana White was 100% against uh, women in the combat sports. So uh, it, it's kind of odd that now really uh, Ronda Rousey probably turned it around for the UFC and, and female fighters. So she opened up a great, great door there and, and more power to her and to him now that he actually opened up his eyes and, and sees the opportunities that he can get from giving these women exposure. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't know why boxing can't use that same uh, roadmap, but it's also, they're not used, boxing's not using the same roadmap on making matches either. I mean, over there on UFC, and I don't like it. I don't like the MMA stuff, but uh, they, the best fights the best. Mm. And here in boxing, sometimes we figure out how the best not to fight the best. And mm. you know, too much is given to the, oh, no. What if, what if everybody in the, in the seventies wanted to protect their O back in the day, you know, eighties, no Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, all those guys, Duran. Oh, they were going to fight each other, you know, or whether it be the heavyweights could be, you know, the Ali uh, Foreman and Norton and all those guys, they were all willing to take a chance. And so let me ask you this, considering you're one of the greatest, you're now a promoter what what advice would you give to let's say networks would you give to other big time promoters to get the state of women's boxing to maybe where it was in your day where it was it was common to see you to see Layla Lee all you guys on pay-per-view to be main event type things because we've got great fighters and you've got Clarissa you've got Katie uh you've got Cecilia Breakus you've got some great fighters what would it take to get those guys and those ladies in main events on with, whether it be Showtime or on paper vent uh, under cars like you were? Well, I think it takes um, the female fighters have to understand it's business. And so as you're going through, you have to build up your fan base. And, and that's what it all comes down to is all about business. You know, even the guys that are on the undercard of the fights, um, the, the, it's the guys that are going to bring attention to the undercard. It's not just, anybody it's, it's always about who's going to bring attention mm, very good advice this segment of the show is brought to you by man cave health it's a public charity 
that raises awareness nationwide for prostate cancer. Many of you know I battled prostate cancer, and it had it not been for me taking a PSA test, you know, the doctor told me I could have been dead uh, within a year. 30,000 men die every year from prostate cancer simply because they didn't know their number. They didn't get an annual check. And also, do you know one out of every four black men are diagnosed with prostate cancer? My first question to you, Christy, is how important is your health to you? Yeah, well, me, very, uh, you know, a lot of people may not know, but I had a stroke after that fight that, that was just six months after being shot and stabbed. I um, broke my hand in nine places. And when they put me to sleep to have uh, fixed my hand, I had a stroke. So with that, I uh, probably have started to pay a little closer attention to, to my health. And I'm getting old. You know, as they're getting older, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, things don't move quite like they used to. So we have to be more cautious and, um, and, and more aware of all of our numbers. Um, do you know of anyone in your family or that's been close to you who's been a male that's been affected by prostate cancer? I do not. I, I, I was thinking about that earlier. I, I don't think that I do know someone uh, personally, but I, I do know how important it is. And I know that, you know, like my father... It always, you know, is it once a year or every six months? Oh, yeah, we make sure you get it at least every year. Yeah, so my, I know my father's getting tested and, and like all the men in my family are being tested. So I don't know. So we've been blessed that no one's had any cancer or anything. And, and let me ask you this, Christy. Why do you think it seems that women are more uh, often making their men go to the doctor? Like you said, hey, I make sure my father's there every year. Why is it that it seems like women are more diligent about, hey, men, you need to get to the doctor, whereas we are like, we're not even going, thinking about going unless something's happened to us. Right. Well, it's, uh, you know, I think the guys just, they don't want to go. I think they're chickens, you know, they're big chickens. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't want something to be wrong. Uh, truthfully, you know, you just don't want to hear that, that, uh, something, that, something needs help. You know, you always want to be, feel like you're invincible. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's always, it's, it's, it's like, makes you nervous, even though, yes. you, you know, you know, everything is good. You go to the dentist, right? You think everything is good. Well, they always find something's wrong. The mission for Man Cave Health is to encourage all men to take just one hour out of the year to either get a physical and a PSA test. And with donations from people just like you, you can help other men who maybe don't have the resources to pay for a PSA test or a physical exam. All you've got to do is go to the Man Cave Health website at mancavehealth.org and sign up for their free newsletter. It is a great resource. And please make a donation because this public charity is trying to make sure that all men can get a physical and a PSA test. And all you've got to do to donate to this public charity is text the last stand to 44321. Um, Christy, for everybody who watches and listens to this podcast, we allow them to submit questions and we got a number of them. They just came raining down for you. So I want to get to a few of these. Uh, this first one comes from Sonny from Twitter. He says, where did you find the motivation to keep training knowing that your situation at home um, was terrible? Was it your escape? 
it was definitely my escape. Boxing, boxing was my savior. And um, that was where I was comfortable. And I felt like that that was the only time that I, I kind of was in charge of me was in the boxing ring. Mm. Uh, this next one from Twitter as well, it says, what is the main reason for choosing a fight with Layla Ali? So many weight classes uh, above your weight. Um, the main reason was because I, I, I felt like I would beat her. Um, you know, I, I, I knew she was much bigger. I knew she was much heavier. I honestly didn't realize how tall she was until I, I, I'd already signed the contract. But, um, you know, I felt like that Layla, I was going to hit her like she'd never been hit before. And, and she was not going to react well to that, but she hit me before I could hit her. So, um, yeah, that, and I went to the bank. <laughs> That's it. I mean, we got to call it like it is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Okay. This one comes from Kevin from Facebook. He says, was there one fight you never had that you wish you could have? Oh, of course. I mean, I'm pretty sure if you know who I am, if you know me, you know who I'm about to say. And uh, Lucia Riker, who uh, we signed the contract to fight for a million dollars. And, um, you know, she chased me around. It was at the press conference. I told her, you're just like that little dog, Lucia. You've chased me, you've chased me, you chased me. Now you've caught me. What are you going to do with me? You know, that, that, that how the dog will chase a car at when it drives down the street. Well, here, here I am. You got me. What are you going to do with me? <laughs> and, and, of course, she didn't have anything to say then. And, and fight week, she pulled out. So mm, there was, wow. there was Ah, yeah. that one still yeah. gets me. Uh, this one from Daniel from Facebook as well. He says, how does it feel that so many fans consider you one of the greatest female boxers? Was it your goal to retire and continue in the sport with your own promotional company? Um, thank you uh, for sure. But I, I wanted to stay in the sport. I didn't know how I was going to stay in the sport. I didn't know if, if it would be maybe as a trainer. I had at the time, you know, I had a great amateur team that I, I worked with. Uh, I, I didn't know where my place, my position would be in the sport, but I, I knew I wanted to stay. Uh, this last one from Facebook, Kenny from Facebook says, uh, I used to train you and loved her unbelievable drive. Do you still have it? Kenny used to train me. That's where the guy, Kenny from Facebook says, he used to train you loved your unbelievable drive do you still have it wow uh i i think i still have an unbelievable drive uh i think that and it's the same thing with the promotion you know i don't want to just be i don't want to be a club show promoter my my entire career i want to grow psycho like you know past the four round stage or maybe up to six knocking on the eight round door but i just want to grow as a promoter as much as i did as a fighter all right, Christy Salters, Martin, it is time for the last segment of this show. We call it The Last Stand. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. In your opinion, who is the female GOAT when it comes to women's boxing? Oh, wow. Well, me. <laughs> <laughs> if this fight went down, Layla Ali versus Ann Wolf, who would have won that fight? Layla Lee would have busted her ass. Really? Yes, for sure, for sure. Wow. Uh, in your opinion, best female boxer right now? Oh, I think the Serranos, Amy and Cindy Serrano are both very good. And um, the girl from uh, Katie Taylor from Ireland. 
I mean, I Look. think they're the most sound fighters. The, they're, they're technically sound, all, all those girls. Uh, in your opinion, best boxing promoter in the sport right now? Wow. Uh, me. <laughs> I just have to, I just have to, I have to get, I have to find that fighter that's going to, that's going to help me go on that ride. Less, but and not I'll least. I'll say this, I'm the hardest working boxing promoter. I might not be the best, but I'm the hardest working. I love it. Uh, last but not least, give me the one fighter that most resembles Christy Martin that's fighting right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, oh, Tia Fimo in some ways, because we both like to talk shit. <laughs> right? and, and we both walk the, you know, we walk the walk, we talk the talk, all that stuff. And Tank, I mean, Tank can punch. And that's why you get in trouble. You know, I, I felt like I always had that punch. We're short and stocky and stout. Uh, so those two guys. I love it. I love it. Listen, Hall of Famer, uh, this has been great. I've been wanting to do this for uh, a really long time. And uh, listen, I, you're, you're an inspiration to uh, many people. And, and I hope that you continue on with your platform because I know you're going to help save a lot of people as well. Thank you. And I, I, I hope that I'm blessed enough to help others, you know, just make that decision to get out of the situation they're in. Well, listen, folks, that's what we do here on the last stand. We bring you some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment and in the sport of boxing. One of the biggest is Christy Martin. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.